right. Thanks, Joanne, for telling us your story. You know, she she told us about some dark days that she had gone through. And, uh, you know, all of us go through dark days at some point in our life. And, and uh, you might be here tonight. And although it's Christmas Eve, um, for you, it's one of those dark days. Did you know that this past Wednesday was the first official day of winter? Uh, it's called the winter solstice. And it is... It is the uh, uh, it is the time in the um, in this hemisphere that we live in that experiences the least amount of of daylight hours. So in that sense, it is the darkest day of the year, which is which is no accident, no coincidence that just a few days after the darkest day of the year, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. In John Pierce and Walker Piercy's words, he said this, he says, it gets darker and darker and then Jesus is born. Jesus came into a world at a very dark and hopeless time. Let me tell you about that. Herod the, the Great was king. He was a wicked and cruel king ruler and he had his own mother and brothers put to death. Uh, he ordered the genocide of all children under the age of two. He hated the Jews and he hated the God of the Jews. Uh, taxes were sky high during that time. How many of you know that's hell on earth, right? And, uh, and, and worst of all, Israel, God's people, they were captives in their own land. It was a very, very dark time, a very dark day when Jesus was born into this world. Which reminds me today that um, Christmas time is all about Jesus coming at a very bad time in our lives. And I want to read the Christmas story. We want to look at it tonight and um, or this afternoon, rather, and unpack this thing. Um, And so I want to take you to Luke chapter two, and we're going to begin in verse number one. And we're going to look at it from the New Living Translation this afternoon. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, his fiancee, who is now obviously pregnant. How many of you guys know, don't ever ask a woman if she's pregnant, okay? Uh, but but Mary was obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. After reading this story, and we'll read a little more of it in a bit. After reading this, I, I just began to to notice the humble conditions in which King Jesus was born. The first thing I noticed in this story is that no one made preparations for the king's birth. No one made preparations for the king's birth. Mary and Joseph took this very long and difficult journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That journey was an 80 mile journey. And I I read that. I thought, well, no wonder she had a baby when she got there. She was bouncing around for 80 miles on the back of a donkey. You know, I mean, what kind of deal is that? Right. No wonder she went into labor. You know, can you imagine the the Duchess Kate Middleton? Right. You know, riding on a donkey for 80 miles while nine months pregnant with 
Prince George back in the day. There's there's no way anybody today would would put themselves through those kind of conditions. And neither would the Duchess Kate Middleton. Why? Because she was about to give birth to a prince who would one day become king of England. So here we have this story Yet this King Jesus, the promised king and Messiah and savior of not only the Jews, but of the entire world. Right. Is being bounced around inside the tummy of this nervous 10 year, this this nervous teenage girl. Right. On the back of a donkey for 80 miles. So what would proper preparations for the birth of a king look like? Well, Isaiah chapter 40, verse number three and four tells us, let me just read it to you today. This is what Isaiah 40 verses three and four says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough places shall become level and the rugged places a plain. That's how you would prepare for the coming of a king. And the people in the ancient world, they knew exactly what those words meant in Isaiah chapter 40. You see, when royalty was coming to visit a community, uh, it was a great honor when royalty would come. And they would they would go out of their way to prepare the way for the king to make a great entrance. Think of how a modern city today might put on its best face, right? If Pope Francis were going to come to town. Or the preparations that Omaha made for President Obama to visit. Hundreds of thousands of dollars would be spent on security, making things secure. Interstates, Interstate 80 would be shut down, right? All that to make preparations for a king. All of the obstacles on the path of the important guest had to be removed. And in ancient days, the rocks that were in the roadways, they were pushed aside. And the rough places, they were filled in with dirt or gravel. And sometimes even the mountains were were made low. In other words, special paths for the king and his entourage were cut through very difficult terrain. They would go out of their way to make a way for royalty. And yet none of these kinds of preparations were made for King Jesus to be born. The second thing I noticed is that no one made room for the king's birth. No one made room for the king's birth. The Bible says there was there was no room in the inn. Guys, I want you to imagine this afternoon for a moment that you're married. Those of you who are singer are going, yes. Imagine that you're married and your your wife is pregnant and she is nine months pregnant. I want you to imagine you're you're in the car and you you're, you're coming back to Omaha from an out of town trip. You're 80 miles outside of Omaha. Right. And guess what? The time has come for the baby to be born. So what are you going to do? You're 80 miles away. What are you going to do? Well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to forget everything that you learned in driver's training school. (laughs) The second thing you're going to do is you're going to punch in women's Methodist hospital, right? In your GPS. And the third thing you're going to do is you're going to drive like hell. I mean, let's just call it what it is. You're going to go. You're going to like my dad used to say, like a bat out of hell. (laughs) And so you're flying. You're on your way, right? This is what's going on. And you get to Methodist Women's Hospital. And I remember the first time I went to Methodist Women's Hospital and I thought, this is a hospital for only women. 
So I went there to visit somebody and, 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 and walking through the door, here's what it felt like. Guys, I don't know if you've ever walked into a women's restroom on accident, but the moment you step in, it looks different. It feels different. You're like, I'm in the wrong one. And you get out of there. I felt that way. I stepped into to Methodist Women's Hospital. I'm like, and I went up to the receptionist and I said, hey, I'm a dude. Can I come in here? Can I be here? You know, and they let me in. So, and, I, and it made me think, you know what? If the women can have a hospital, I think the men should have a hospital. I think we should have a Methodist men's hospital. But here's the deal. If we had one, this is what it would be like. There'd be no doctors there because men don't like going to see the doctor. So we'd have a hospital with no doctors, right? We'd have a super size me kind of cafeteria with huge TV screens all over the place, right? And hot wings. And, and we tell our stories about how we got injured, but we didn't see the doctor and we got some duct tape out and we fixed it. And uh, it'd be awesome. You know, instead of, the, instead of the, the gift shop, you know, we'd have a man cave in, where they would sell, you know, sharp objects and, and sharp tools and weapons and things like that. And duct tape and Chuck Norris films and really cool stuff like that. And that would be men's hospital. But we don't have a men's hospital. Come on, guys. How many of you want one of those, right? All right. All right. Let's get back to the imagine you're, you're married and your wife is pregnant story. So you arrive at the front door of, of uh, Methodist Women's Hospital. Thank you so much. And, you're, and, and it's time for the baby to be born. And, and you run in the door with your wife. And the nurse tells you, oh, I'm so sorry. But the, you know, the world-class birthing rooms, they're, they're none available right now. But we've got plenty of room in the parking garage. You know. So just make yourself to the parking garage and, 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 and you can have the baby there. What would you do? What would you do? You would do whatever it takes, wouldn't you? Because my baby deserves to be born, right? In a state-of-the-art birthing room. That's where my child, that's where my wife should be. That's what they deserve, right? And you would do whatever it takes to make sure that happens. You would threaten that nurse. You'd bribe that nurse. You'd remind her that I've got a concealed carry permit and I'm going to use it if I have. You know, you do whatever it takes. You do whatever it takes. The word translated manger means a place where animals feed. And therefore, it can be either a stable or a manger, today's equivalence to a parking garage. And the inns in ancient East would have a series of stables underneath them, like a parking garage, uh, opening to the common courtyard. And it's a place where you could park your Mustang. That's a horse. All right. So here's what here's what one of those old places could have looked like back in the day. Here's what an inn could have looked like. With the, the parking underneath. This is kind of how it is. So there's no room in the end. So they're underneath in this open courtyard with all these stables. That's where Mary and Joseph are. And that's where Jesus was born. So the question that I have to ask. And we've had some fun. The question I have to ask is. Why such humble beginnings? Why such humble beginnings for a king? And I know there could be a number of correct answers, but what I feel to, to, to hone in on this afternoon is the reason there were such humble beginnings for a king is so that we could know what God is like. So we could know what God is like. God humbled himself and became a man born under the worst conditions to make himself approachable, knowable, 
and good news for all people. The best way that God could make himself known on a, as a personal God was to become a person. You see, if he was born in a fancy hospital or if he was born in a palace, right? How could we relate to him? If he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and you weren't, how could we relate to a king like that? But he became one of us to die for all of us. He identified with us so we could identify with him. Have you ever wondered what God is like? You know, the disciples, the followers of Jesus asked one day of Jesus, they said, Jesus, just show us the father. Just show us the father. And Jesus said to them, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. You see, the reason Jesus had such a humble beginning is so that we could know what God is like. So that we could look at Jesus and have the exact representation of, of who God is and, and what he's like and how much he loves us and how much he was willing to humble himself and become one of us and die for us. That's why such humble beginnings for Jesus. So we could know what he's like. If he never came, we'd never know him. How does God reveal himself to man by becoming a man like us? The other thing I noticed is that no one knew of the king's birth until God sent a messenger with a birth announcement. No one knew of the king's birth until God sent a messenger and that messenger was an angel. And verse number eight says this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. The birth announcement first came to the shepherds. And we know that the shepherds back in that day, they were they were illiterate hirelings who watched the flocks that they did not own. They had a bad reputation and they were considered liars and therefore they were not allowed to testify in the courts. And because of their dirty occupation around animals, they were treated with prejudice by the church and they were considered to be unclean and they could only worship God in the outer court of the temple. They were segregated. And it was to these simple, dirty men of the fields that were without means, without honor. They were humble men that God's first message came. And that encourages me today that God comes to simple people. He comes to people who might be feel like they're the outsiders, the outcasts. They may feel like, you know, they're not getting the treatment that other people are getting. And God comes to the least of these. God comes And he reveals the birth of Jesus to the most unlikely people of the day. You would have thought that God would have sent the angel to the king. He would have sent the king to the king's cabinet. He would have sent the message, but he sent the message to these simple shepherds. But these shepherds, these shepherds were in all likelihood special shepherds. 
meaning that each day in the temple, every morning and every evening, an unblemished lamb was offered as a sacrifice to God. And they had to make sure there was always enough unblemished lambs right in the temple. And so what they did is the people who ran the temple, they would have these these flocks, these these herds, these sheep, whatever they're called. Right. They'd have these sheep out there near Bethlehem. And it's very likely that these shepherds were put in charge of these flocks. Could it be that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Could it be that those shepherds had the revelation that night that it's impossible for the blood of animals to take away sins? Verse number 13, the the story goes on and says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the angels said to each other, The shepherds, excuse me, said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds, notice it wasn't the angels. It was the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. So we're going to wrap it up. The story of the birth of King Jesus. We see that no one prepared the way for this king to be born. And no one made room No one made room for this king to be born and no one knew of the king's birth until God had sent a messenger to tell them about it. Many of you here this afternoon, you've you've heard the story of Jesus. You've heard the story of the birth of Jesus. And so you may not have needed a messenger to give you this good news tonight, but I am the messenger tonight. Right. If God can use an angel and God can use a donkey, God can can use this little white boy who grew up in Michigan and uh, God can bring the message. And tonight I have one question for you. And that question is this. Do you have room for Jesus? God wants to be born in you. Do you have room for Jesus? Maybe your life is, is very crowded, very busy. You've got a lot of responsibilities. You've got a lot of cares. And you would say, you know what, my life is, is too crowded. I don't have room for Jesus. I don't have room for religion. I just don't have room for that. I don't have time for that right now. And maybe that would be your honest answer. Or maybe you would say, you know what, um, I'm just too dirty. I'm like that stable. God would never want to be born in me. But I've got good news. He was born in a dirty stable to remind us that God can be born in dirty, sinful people. And that's who Jesus Came And that's who Jesus came to die for. God is now looking for a clean five star all put together kind of place to be born. And I've come to realize that people who think they are clean and all put together are usually the people who have no room for God. It's those who are dirty, those who are sinful that Jesus came to be born in. You see, God comes to the humble. And the humble come to God. 
to become the savior of the world. Jesus humbled himself and he made himself of no reputation. And in the same way for us to be saved, we have to do as he did. We have to make ourselves of no reputation. You may have a great reputation. You may have you may have letters in front of your name. You may have you may have diplomas and certificates and all kinds of awards for all the accomplishments you have done. But God does not look at our reputation. He looks at our heart. People look at our reputation and they judge us by our reputation. But God looks at the heart and God judges according to what is in the heart. There's a guy named Paul. He's called Paul the Apostle, and he wrote a third of the New Testament. And he was a very religious man before he made room for Jesus. He attended Christmas Eve service every year. In fact, he attended church every Sunday. He was religious. He practiced. He did everything right. He even tithed. And he said this. He said, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. A religious man said those words. A good man said those words. He came to the realization that although he had a a good reputation for keeping God's law in his heart, he knew he was a sinner. He knew he was far from God. He knew that he hadn't made room for Jesus. Are you far from God today? Are you like that dirty stable? (laughs) And you're thinking, man, God would not want to be born in me. There's no way he'd want to come into this mess. Can I tell you? Yes. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. He was born in a dirty stable to let us all know tonight that God can be born in us. It's an unbelievable invitation that we get from the king. The Bible says, God says this in the the Bible. He says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet red, they shall be white as snow. Come now, let us, let us reason together. Let us settle the matter right here on earth as it is in heaven. Though your sins are, are separating you far from God, let's reason together, says the Lord. I can make those sins white as snow. I can take that dirty stable. I can take that dirty sinful heart and I can make it brand new. I can give you a brand new life. And God's here to do that today. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. If you would. The Bible says that all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are here today and you're ready to make room in your life for God. If you're ready to make room in your life for God and and give him your life. Give him your mess. If you're ready to call on the name of the Lord, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you today. I'm going to pray with you right where you're seated, but I want you to raise your hand so we can then all pray together. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you're ready to call on God and make room for him. Would you do that on the count of three? One, two, three. Raise your hand nice and high. I'm ready to make room for God. I'm ready to make room for God. Raise your hand nice and high so I can see your hand. God bless you. Thank you so much for being honest. In the balcony, on the main floor, I see hands on the main floor. In the balcony, anybody? We didn't come together today to have this nice little Christmas Eve service. We came together today to make room for God in our lives. We came to invite him to make his home inside of us. We came today together to 
invite God to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer where we all call on God together. If you raised your hand, pray this in your heart. You can pray it with your lips. You can pray it out loud if you like. But just a simple prayer. God, I'm making room for Jesus to be born in me. I confess I'm the dirty stable. But Jesus can make me clean. So Jesus, make me clean. Make me right. Make me yours. So today I call on you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus, to save me from my sin, to make me a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being born in me. Amen. Amen. The theme that we have, we've been celebrating over the last three weeks is a thrill of hope. And a thrill of hope comes from the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. You might recognize these lyrics. A thrill of hope, the, re- the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. O oh, hear the angels' voices. O night divine. O night divine. So just as the angels rejoiced in his birth, the angels tonight are rejoicing in your new birth. As a new person in Jesus Christ. And I think we should join with the angels. Can we do that? Can we thank God? Just invite you guys to stand tonight. And join us in our last worship song that we sing. 